Welcome to the second episode in this LiveWise series. So in this episode, we're gonna look at the first two values of a postmodern society. And we're gonna start with the word experiential. So let me explain my take on this. In the modern world, instructions were given to be executed. In this emerging world, invitations are offered to be experienced. So we need to understand that rather than simply presenting our thoughts, the more we can involve people, the more we can take people on an experience and they can experience truth, the more powerful it will be. Now, in the last episode, we looked at how quickly businesses respond to the holy customer and yet how slowly we as the church can respond to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of businesses responding quickly to the Holy Customer. So REI is an example of this. REI is a sports um, store that sells adventure sports gear. And uh, Leonard Sweet has some interesting things to pull out of this store and explain this principle to us. REI's flagship store in Seattle looks more like a retail amusement park than a store according to Leonard Sweet in his book, Postmodern Pilgrims. One of the largest wilderness sports stores, 100,000 square feet and 60,000 stock items, the Consumer Cooperative Recreational Equipment Inc. boasts places for customers to interact with and experience some of the products they are selling. A seven-story climbing wall, a 300-foot waterfall, a 475-foot-long biking trail, and a test track, a 100-seat cafe, a rain room for testing how waterproof the leak text is, a lab where camp stoves can be tried out. The aisles between departments are designed to resemble hiking trails. So as you know, and as I stated earlier in the first episode, um, I'm kind of inspired by Leonard Sweet's book, Postmodern Pilgrims. Um, but I see uh, these principles in the Bible all the time. I see Jesus taking his disciples on experiences. And in particular, I often think about Paul's example of this. Uh, this is a famous example. I've used it at other times. But when Paul is in Athens, he's been ridiculed. People are tormenting him. They're calling him a babbler, kind of expressing the idea that he's just picking up pieces of ideas from here and there and trying to join them together. He needs to give them a solid foundation for his teaching. And so he goes and points to an experience he knows they've had. He notices the statue to the unknown God. Let me read you a couple of verses to explain this. In Acts 17, verse 22 to 23, it says this. Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you now. Paul then takes something that they've experienced, that they know somehow they know they've experienced this gap, if you like. They're worshipping all these gods, but they feel as though there's something missing, and he builds upon that. And he uses one of the first principles in how to make our vision and mission experiential. Let me go through those four principles with you now. 
Firstly, we need to connect with the truth they have already experienced. That, of course, is exactly what Paul just did. Secondly, we need to create experiences that provoke questions. So we take them places, we do things with people that get them to provoke questions. If they're asking the question, they're much more likely to be interested and apply the answers that we give them. Thirdly, when you're making things experiential, you need to train yourself to be able to respond to those questions. I think this is key. We need to really understand what we're teaching people to the point where we know it so well that we can respond to questions. I've often said I can fill anybody that I can teach any subject in the world. Uh, I could go into a conference hall and teach about brain surgery. I would just need to read some books, create a nice slideshow and teach 10 facts about brain surgery. Everything would be fine until when? Until someone asks the first question. The minute they ask a question, it's all going to fall apart. The great thing about Jesus' teaching was people asked questions and some of his greatest teaching came out of the questions they asked because he knew what he was teaching. So look at this picture. As you look at this iceberg, imagine that what you present is the bit of the iceberg that is showing, but what you've studied and know about the subject is the rest of the iceberg underneath the water. If your preparation, if your teaching is like that, if you know far more than you're going to have time to teach, the reality is you're probably going to know your subject well enough to be able to respond to questions and it's going to be more powerful. Number four. This is fairly obvious, but create opportunities where they can go with you. So when you're preparing to teach people, when you're preparing to get people involved in your mission, sit down and spend time thinking, okay, what opportunity could I take them to? What opportunity could I go with them? What opportunity could I invite them to come with me? Take the time to create the opportunity. It may take you twice as long to teach something because you now have to take them somewhere. It's going to be so much more powerful. Less is more. So let's look at our first workshop. Now, um, the list I'm about to give you uh, is in my book, Shalom, but it's taken from various other books. And it's a list of values that people say um, or principles or practices that people say will work better when it comes to sharing our message in a postmodern world. I want to make a couple of comments on this, but first of all, let's just take a look at these two lists. What is out as far as teaching or communication is a sales pitch, a conquest, warfare, ultimatum, threat, proof, argument, entertainment, a monologue, something you have to do. So what's being said here is that in your mission, in your vision, as you're presenting your mission, as you're trying to get people involved in whatever it is, whatever your vision is, these things don't work anymore. That's, that's the argument. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Things that you have to do. Let me look at the second list, the things that are supposed to be in, that are supposed to work better in a postmodern world. Conversation, friendship, sharing your vision and involving people as part of a conversation, as friendship, as influence, as invitation, as companionship, as challenge, 
as opportunity, as dance, as something you get to do. My point here is that there's a difference between something you tell people they have to do and something you involve people and they get to do. That's the key thing here. Experience allows people, it gives them the, the chance to get to do something, to experience something with you, as opposed to just telling them what they should do. But as part of this workshop, what I'd like you to do is simply compare those two um, lists and ask yourself the question, do you agree? Uh, is the first list out and the second list in? If so, why? Uh, is, it, is it completely they're all out and these are in, or is there some kind of amalgamation? Do both lists have some kind of um, sense or something they can teach us? Take a look at those two lists, have a discussion in your group, and we'll come back and we'll look at them in a moment. So I don't know what you thought about that exercise. For me, uh, I think it's too simplistic to say certain things are out and certain things are in. Because uh, in our vision and our mission, certainly as a Christian explaining the gospel of Jesus, there is proof, there is an argument, there is a challenge, there is an ultimatum. But I do like this idea of maturing and realizing that we need to go beyond just presenting those kind of things and offering experiences where we can have a, a conversation, uh, offering experiences where people can get involved in the gospel. Uh, can people experience the gospel before they um, ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life? Can they get involved in spreading the gospel? Well, it seems the disciples did. It seems the disciples were involved in things they still didn't quite yet understand. And we need to learn from Jesus and learn that principle as well. So let's move on to our second value, which is similar, but has some distinctive differences. The second value of EPIC is participatory. In the modern world, opportunities were presented to be performed. In this emerging world, people are encouraged to participate. So the key here is the difference between, and it's a subtle difference, between here's an answer, here's something that should be done, you go and execute it, you go and perform it, and here's something we need to do, here's an answer, how can you get involved in how we actually do this? That's the key difference between this is what we need to do, go and execute it, and this is what we need to do, how can we make this better? The more people participate in the answer, the more likely they are to apply the answer. So let me give you a metaphor. Imagine you go for a meal and you get a set menu. That's different for going for a meal and having a buffet. One, you're told this is what you can eat and this is the order in which you can eat it. Uh, the other, you're told, hey, you need to eat something, but you have a choice. And what you're going to find in this world is that people prefer a buffet to a set meal. They don't simply want to be told how to execute something. They want to participate in how they can feed themselves. That's a key part of the Havarim devotions that we believe on uh, and, and the book that I wrote uh, about Bible studies. A, a chance for people to, to grab, to taste, to, to try things uh, on their own. Uh, you could put it this way. Essentially, people don't want to be part of an answer when they cannot participate in the formation of that answer. 
I hope this subtle difference is making sense to you. Let's look at some more principles about how we get people to participate. So when it comes to Bible study, for instance, uh, on pays we often teach that we want people to learn how to do something rather than be told what to do. So what should we do? We need to study the Bible. We need to understand the Bible. But how do we study the Bible? Well, that we can involve people in the participatory part of that. We can give them an opportunity to participate in how they study as opposed to simply telling them what they need to do. So yeah, I know this is a fairly subtle, but it's an important difference. And uh, participatory builds on this idea of experiential. And again, you can see that in the Bible. So let me give you a biblical example. So when Jesus asks the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter gives this phenomenal response, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Um, we need to understand that Jesus took his disciples somewhere. In fact, at the beginning of that passage, it says, um, Jesus took them. When Jesus took them to Caesarea Philippi, he asked the question. In other words, he could have asked the question anywhere else, but he decided not to. He decided to take them somewhere, and then he asked them the question. Now, when Jesus um, does this, uh, and Peter gives his, re his great response, Peter, uh, Jesus says something really interesting afterwards. Let's just read what Jesus says after this great declaration and proclamation that comes out of Peter. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. There's some interesting things that are going on here. First of all, there's the confession of Peter. Um, and that's what Peter says. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock. Now, the Catholic view is that Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to build my church on Peter. And obviously, Peter has a key role in the building of the church. It's where we get the popes from. But the Bible says that Jesus is actually the capstone. The Protestant idea is that it's Jesus is saying, I'm going to build on this confession of faith. And obviously, that confession of faith is a bedrock to uh, the Christian faith. But I think that's a little bit of a stretch um, to say that. For me, I like the historical, the contextual uh, understanding of what Jesus is saying. He's in Caesarea Philippi, which is a city built on a huge rock. In the cleft of the rock, there is a, a spring where uh, water comes out. And the pagans who worshipped the goat god Pan there believed that the demons came out of this this part of the rock. That rock, that part of the rock was called the gates of Hades. I believe that Jesus is saying to his disciples, first of all this, on this rock with these kind of people, I'm going to build my church and even the gates of hell won't be able to resist it. In other words, with these kind of people, I'm going to build my church. And even as you look at this, this worship of these foreign gods, it's not going to withstand my church. And then he says something really key. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you, whatever you uh, permit and whatever you forbid, he's talking about. So he's saying to them this, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give you a part to play. And this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the ability to, to bind. I'm going to give you the, the ability to um, forbid. And I'm going to give you the ability to permit. In other words, he's saying to them this, 
you're going you're gonna to be involved in making up the rules. I'm going to build my church. You're going to be involved in this. And then you're going to be involved in figuring out what this church looks like. And we see that later on, later on in Acts. We see when the, the pagans get saved and they get filled with the Spirit and they start speaking in tongues, um, the disciples have to figure out and make up the rules. In fact, it says at the Council of Jerusalem, uh, they basically say, it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit to put these rules in place. They get to participate in the answer. That is so key. So if we want people to participate in the answer, what principles can we use to do that? Well, first, you need to provide the purpose. You need to explain to people what the purpose of your vision, what the purpose of your mission is, and what the purpose of them participating is. In other words, you want to set things in jelly, as we say in England, or jello, as they say in America. Uh, when I was younger, my mum used to make me jellies and they would have some kind of shape to them. Maybe there was an elephant or a castle or something like that, but it was flexible. So when I'm involving people, I want to say, here's what we're trying to do. Here's the purpose. If you like, here's the skeleton of the vision. These are the unchangeable things. But I want you to get involved in how we actually do that. I want you to put the meat on the bones. There's a shape to this, but I want you involved. Poor leadership says, hey, we need to do something. What do you think we should do? Good leadership says, we need to do this, but you can get involved in how we actually think, how we actually go about doing that. You can help me think that through. The second principle is this, provide the tools. If you're going to get people to participate, you need to give them the resources to do that. What you don't say is, I want you to participate. This is what we need to do. So you go and figure out how to do it and you go and figure out where to get the tools from. You need to give them some resources and some tools to be able to do that. In fact, tools, using the same tools, bind people together. So if you're trying to get people to figure something out together, you need to give them common tools because common tools bind them together, help them go in the same direction. Third thing. So provide the permission. That's principle number three. You need to let people know that here's the purpose, here's the tools, and as long as you stay within that purpose, you can emulate what I've done and you can go beyond it. So this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the answer. This is the objective. This is the mission. This is the vision. But within that, you have permission to go beyond the things that I've taught. Within that, you have permission to do things outside of my comfort zone. If you're going to give that people, sorry, if you're going to give people that ability, then you have to be okay with that. I think I am. Some of the best ideas we've come up with on pays more recently have been people, uh, other people, um, getting the vision, understand the vision, and then doing some new things. The only issue is when people go outside of the original intention go away from the vision and the mission. So there is a, a careful balancing act. So one of the benefits of taking people on experience and helping them participate in the answer. Uh, well, let me show you a video that hopefully gets across uh, the joy of ownership.
Okay, let's look at our final workshop. Think about the last time you taught or recruited people. Did you provide an experience? And if not, what experience could you have given them? Did you provide a way for them to participate? And if you did, did you miss any of the ingredients or principles that I've just outlined in the way you can get them to participate? Did you miss out providing things such as a purpose or the tools or give them enough permission? Hopefully this episode has been helpful to you. It's very simple. We need to get people uh, into an experience and we need to help them participate. Um, it's very simple, but as you go through the things that you've been teaching and the ways you've been recruiting people, you may find that these two um, values make a huge difference. Thanks for listening. In the next episode, we're going to look at the two other values of postmodernity and how we can apply them to our vision and mission.